0: Welcome back to another episode of Keeping It Real on More Radio. I am your host, Jonathan Lundy, and we have a very special guest today with us. His name is Bill Dow. He is a freelance writer for newspapers and magazines covering sports history, business, and health. His work has been featured in the Detroit Free Press, USA Today, Baseball Digest, and more. He is the co-editor and author of the book titled Tiger Stadium, Essays and Memories of Detroit's Historical Ballpark. 1912 to 2009. Dow graduated from Michigan State University and the, the the Detroit College of Law. He also has experience in philanthropy and organizing. Please welcome Mr. Bill Dow.
1: Hi, Jonathan. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, uh,
0: thank thank you for coming on for us. I want to get right into it. I want to talk about you know just like the general and overall history of the Tigers and baseball, the sport as a whole. I want to open up with Ty Cobb and some of the misconceptions that are out there about him. He was, there, there was an author by the name of Al Stump. He was a yes. writer. Yeah, he published an article in True, something called True Magazine, which yes. was known at the time for sensationalizing truth-stretching articles. He wrote right. about Cobb. He was trying to boost sales for an autobiography that he had wrote. The sales weren't doing too well. What are some of the misconceptions that were out there about Ty Cobb?
1: Well, one of the biggest ones is that he's, he was an extreme racist, and, um, and the thing about it is he in the context of his times, um, did Cobb say some words, uh, throw the N word around, possibly just like 90 percent of the people back then. And that's not to uh, obviously condone that at all. But he actually is somebody who has a, came from a family of abolitionists. Um, his uh, grandfather uh, refused to fight in the uh, Confederate army because he was against slavery. His father was an educator who um, was also a Georgia state representative, state senator, actually, who actually stopped a lynching uh, in Georgia. And he actually ended up hurting his political career as doing that. So, and he is very, even though he didn't go to college, he was very well read and he wasn't, um, he's a pretty, he was a very adept businessman in terms of his early investments. But He really has been portrayed, unfortunately, through the character assassination of Al Stump, as you said, to sell books. I've talked to the Cobb family, um, Cindy Cobb, who was one of his 15 grandchildren. And she says the family said that Al Stump spent as like three days with her uh, her grandfather. And he claimed that he was with him for several months and traveled with him. And there are a number of inaccuracies in the original manuscript that Cobb actually read before he passed from cancer in 1961. And he threatened to sue the publisher because of some of the things that were written in it, but he died. And um, unfortunately, you know, he can't defend himself from the grave. And um, so I, I just, you know, here's a guy who was invited to throw out the first pitch of the opening of Amtramic Stadium for the Negro League Detroit Stars um Charles Learson is an author of a really good book about Cobb that came out a few years ago called a terrible Beauty by again by Charles Learson and um uh, and he indicates that you know Cobb was somebody who actually in the early 50s was saying he thinks it's great that baseball is integrated the only player he would pay to play was to see would be Willie Mays he had no problem with the integration of uh, the, of, of black blacks playing in, in baseball so, that's one of the one of the major misconceptions I think about Cobb and um, and what he's been portrayed as. He's kind of put up there like that, but unfortunately, you know, obviously we have very prompt serious problem with racism today. It was certainly very very prevalent back then in his day and when he played and the players he played with and against. But Cobb has just been elevated to this as the person. You know whose reputation is surrounding that and it's unfortunate that, that that happened
0: yeah so um like you said Cobb he was vocal about the the integration of baseball what's the significance of a player of a uh, Cobb's caliber you know like being openly supportive of well, he uh, integration was,
1: well really he was one of the f- very few stars from that from the uh, early 20th century who came out in favor of integration I mean, he, um, which was really quite remarkable. And that was written about, but a lot of people don't know that. And Learson found that out in his research. It was an article that he found. And um, um, there was a story about, um, I think his name was Bobby Robinson with the Detroit Stars, who Cobb, I think it was probably from that opening game at Mamm Tramick Stadium, where he sat in the dugout and talked to the players. And um, he said he didn't sense any sense of racism about him. The next year, he—I don't know if I mentioned this—but he campaigned for uh, Detroit Mayor John Smith. The opponent was a heavily uh, supported uh, person who was supported by the Ku Klux Klan, and Cobb actually campaigned for John Smith in opposition to that person. So, um, you know, again, it's it's unfortunate that that reputation got gets passed down, and inaccurate information gets repeated. And I know it's really hurtful to the to the Cobb family about that, how it's come down like that
0: so yeah Cobb he took a train from Georgia to the Hamtramck Stadium to throw out that first pitch Yep. why why is Hamtramck Stadium so important to the history of baseball in Detroit
1: well if, I'll tell you for a while, that's where the Detroit the Detroit Stars played at Hamtramck Stadium beginning in 1930 and they only played there about three years in the 30s prior to that the Stars who started in 1920 played at Max Stadium and then it burned down and then this John Rosink built this 8,000 seat stadium in, in, in Hamtramck as we know it, is. it was called, I think it was called roasting field at the time, but now it's, it's been Hamtramck stadium for some time. And there's only 12 of it's one, only one of 12 remaining Negro league stadiums. So it's quite significant that there's been this, uh, this great support for preserving the field and the grandstands that are still left there. I know that they've put in a brand new field. It looks absolutely beautiful. I, Visited there um, last spring before that field was renovated, but I've seen pictures of it and it's absolutely beautiful. And it's it really is uh, it's really great that it's um, right next to Keyworth Stadium where the soccer teams play, and it's a great little spot. And to think of the players that played on that field, Turkey Stearns, and there were like 17 uh, future Hall of Famers that played at Hamtramck Stadium, including Satchel Paige and another of others. So the fact that we still have you know, that grandstand and that field there is tremendous.
0: Uh, we, we've had players like Satchel Paige, Turkey Stern, who is, who was one of the uh, Detroit Stars players. What are some of the greatest moments that you think has happened in that
1: stadium? Um, You know, I, there, I know they didn't win any, I'm not, I don't consider myself a Negro league expert, really. Uh, I know they didn't, they never won a championship, you may know more a little bit about it from that aspect yourself. I don't know, but um, I think the fact that Cobb threw out the first pitch was pretty. That's a great way to start the stadium out, having this very famous ball player, the first one ever inducted to the Hall of Fame, who by his appearance there, but the fact that he had appeared and did that shows his support for the team and for um, and really for League of League baseball. If he was such a racist, he wouldn't have shown up and done something like that. And I think he did it by by showing up like that, you know, meant a lot, but I don't know, the fact that those players played there um and um we made it a famous field uh, and the fact that we still have it and can celebrate its history like that, I think is is great. Awesome.
0: The uh, now I want to switch to the history and significance of Tiger Stadium. Yeah. Uh did, how did the Tiger Stadium was up for a very long time. How did it change over
1: the years? Yeah, it really did evolve. That that site was at a former market um, at Michigan and Trumbull. It was called Western Market. And then in 1896, um, there was a, a Detroit Tiger team, as before became into the major leagues. They really were a founding member of the American League in 1901. But there was a Detroit Tiger team in 1896 at Bennett Park, which was a wooden grandstand. That um, was where Cobbster first started playing when he came up, and it was used at Bennett Park um, up and through 1911. Then over the winter of 1911, um, the Tigers um, ended up building Naven Field. It's amazing they did it in just a few months, put up a, a steel cement structure, uh, and it remained Naven Field uh, from 1911. 19- from 1912 until uh, 1938, when it was renamed Briggs Stadium, when uh, the new owner Walter O. Briggs double decked the ballpark and turned it into a 15,000 15,000 seat stadium, it was then renamed Tiger Stadium in 1961 when John Fetzer became the owner and they renamed it that way. But mean um, it's such a it's such a famous field. Uh, I like to tell people the story. You know, there's that in in Dyersville, Iowa. Where the movie Field of Dreams was made, um, they they created this ball field out of a, a farmland, and for that movie set. And from what I understand, there's like fifty thousand people a year go to this movie set and celebrate the movie, which is you know centered around the story of Shoeless Joe Jackson and this, in this guy who wanted to bring you know the spirit back of uh, Jackson and all these different players. Well, in fact, Tiger Stadium uh, at that field when it was Navin Field, on opening day of Navin Field in 1912, it was against the Cleveland Indians. uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson was with the Indians that time. Uh, Later, he became a member of the White Sox. But Shoeless Joe Jackson was the first player to score a run at Navin Field in the top of the first inning. And Ty Cobb was the first Tiger to score a run at Navin Field when he stole home plate in the bottom of the first inning. I mean, and there's been like 175. I think it's around 175 future Hall of Famers played on that diamond, and that's baseball alone. There were number of NFL, you know, uh, players Hall of Famers that played on that field because that was also the home of the Detroit Lions from 1938 through 1974. There were three major. There were three major league All-Star games played at that site: 1941, 51, and and 71. Um, three of the most famous ones. Uh, in the bottom of the ninth inning, Ted Williams hit what he said was his greatest hit of his career when he won the All-Star game with a home run that went off the facing of the third deck. In 51, there were six home runs at Briggs Stadium in the All-Star game, and another six home runs were hit by all future Hall of Famers 50 years ago in 1971 and then he had two nfl world championships played there joe lewis fought there uh against bob pastor beat bob uh, pastor in a a boxing match there i mean so it's it's you know obviously quite a famous field and it's obviously being used now by detroit pal and uh, on that diamond so um that's a it's a really fabulous history that we have here you know here in detroit at that site at michigan and trumbull
0: yeah, yeah. Sixteen-year-old Willie Horton hit a home run there too. He uh, did. Yeah, DPS championship game against Cass Tech while he was at Northwestern. Yeah, I was to have traveled about 450 feet.
1: Yeah, and Willie Willie is so linked to that ballpark. Um, I've interviewed him several times, and he tells stories about. I don't know if you want to hear some of this, but oh, he yeah, actually sure. would for play sure. strikeout against the wall of Briggs Stadium. I don't know if you remember that you take like a rubber ball and a bat and you, you know, that'd be your background. And you play strikeout against that, the wall of that ballpark where you later played in. And the story goes, this is pretty, this is pretty funny. Uh, The Cleveland Indians bus came pulled up in the stadium. And um, what Willie did and his friends, they used to, like anybody who grew up around that ballpark would often try to sneak in. And he was very successful a lot of times and run past these ushers that were too, too big and slow to catch the people. (laughs) Getting in there, and um, so Willie and his friend got caught, and they were being taken out um, out of the ballpark. And Rocky Calavito, of all people, who was the left fielder who Willie ended up replacing in left field with the Tigers in 1964, 63, um, said to the security man, "You know what? Let me take these guys." And he took him into the ballpark and spoke to spoke to John Han, the clubhouse man in the visitors' clubhouse. home clubhouse and said would you give these guys a job and he did and Willie Horton actually was a clubhouse kid uh, at Briggs Stadium and and in the home locker room (laughs) and then just a few years later there he is in the outfield as a ball player and and he hit that famous home run as you said in the in the um, when when, um, Northwestern High School uh, won that city championship game and uh, and then of course Willie made one of the greatest throws in world series history in the fifth game of the 68 world series, when he threw out Lou Brock with a perfect throw to bill freehand that really changed the momentum of the, you know, of that series. And they were down three games to one and they came from behind in that game. And then of course won it, but so Willie, um, he's so linked to that ballpark. And as you may know, the field, uh, at where at Michigan and Trumbull is called Willie Horton field. And, um, but yeah, he's, uh, has really a second home to him in many ways.
0: Yeah. And, um, a lot of tremendous moments, uh, there at the stadium, Kirk Gibson, he, he also had a, had a home run. Oh in yeah. For the 84 World Series.
1: Oh gosh. He had two home runs that game. And I was fortunate enough to have been at that game. And uh, it was so dramatic. That was kind of like out of the movie, the natural, where Robert Redford hits that home run off and breaks the, the light and the light standard there. But, um, his, uh, his home run was so dramatic and cemented the 84 world championship. But then I also think the one I remember and I saw it on TV was 50 years ago, July 13, 1971, when Reggie Jackson, in fact, it's the only all-star game where there were two black pitchers facing each other. The two starting pitchers were black pitchers, Doc Ellis of the national of the national league and Vita blue of the American league. It's the only time it's ever happened. And, um, and Reggie came up as a pinch hitter for Vita blue and, the third inning uh, with a man on that uh, American league was down uh, two to nothing. And he hit a ball so hard. You can watch the game on YouTube. It, it's really interesting. It is so loud when you hear him hit that ball and he hit it off the transformer of the light standard in right center field of tiger state and it bounced back onto the field and observers, including Kirk Gowdy and Tony Kubek, who announced the game said the ball was still rising when it was going out and Wayne state university um, one time did a study and they projected that that ball would have gone 640 feet had it not hit that transformer up there. I don't know how they did that calculation, but um that's something that when people think about home runs at tiger stadium, that was one that they're still talking about. Babe Ruth hit one of the longest balls he ever hit um, was at Navin field that Supposedly, it went like seven hundred feet, but I think part of it was on a roll, maybe. <laughs> and um, but, you know, it's the it's the ballpark where Lou Gehrig ended his uh, record consecutive game streak in 1939, and um, there's so much great there's so much great history there. And um, you know, it's unfortunate that you know the Tigers were the second to the last team to integrate uh, in the American League in, in 1958 when a man of color. Um, From the Dominican Republic, Ozzy Virgil broke the color barrier in uh, June of 58. And then Larry Doby came up, the former great uh, Cleveland Indian player who was really at the end of his career. And he integrated the American League uh, just after Jackie Robinson later in 1947. He came into the Tigers in 1959, played 18 games and then was traded. And then, you know, it took a while. uh, And, you know, and then Willie really became the first. The first black star, you know, for the Tigers.
0: Yeah, Uh, I want to transition to the uh, the game of baseball today. Uh, Is you know, baseball has been in existence for so long; it uh, it really hasn't changed much. There's like discourse about like how how the game should change to be more attractive to a younger audience. I want to ask you, like, you know, what do you think about the game today, and what do you think any changes would make to, I guess. Uh, get, garner interest to a, towards a younger audience?
1: Well, I'll tell you, one of the things, one of the problems they have are the games are so long. Um, when I was growing up in the 1960s, it, it was not unknown to have games end in two hours. Um, that 71 All-Star game only took two hours and ten minutes <laughs> and or six home runs. Now you see games, I don't know what the average is, but they, they go three and a half hours. And I think yeah. You know, our society now, we're so used to kind of a faster pace. Baseball is very slow. It's one of the attractions of baseball to me, although I'm not the fan I was when I was growing up, but because it is slower, it's kind of nice to me and not to have a clock. You know, that's a that's a great romantic thing about baseball is that you could conceivably play the game forever. But, um, but it, it is – it's unfortunate that the day, games are taking so long. There's so many chain pitching changes – the specialties, um, are such that, you know, it's, it's just, and there's so many strikeouts now. I mean, uh, so many players are either striking out, walking, hitting home run, and it's the pitching has, and there's so much technology in it now that, um, you know, everything's on launch angles and, and everything. I don't know. I'm kind of a purist and a romantic about the game the way it was before a little bit, but the players are bigger, they're stronger, they're faster. Um, and um, the pitchings, if, and I've interviewed different current people lately, and they all say, and those who even play back in the 90s say, you know, the pitching is better than it's ever been. There were great pitchers back in the day, certainly. But, you know, the thing is that, that they're expecting – all they want are pitchers who, who throw, um, you know, uh, fire, you know, <laughs> throwing 95-miles-an-hour fastballs, and um, and they maybe have two pitches. And I don't know, you just – it's just so different. I I just, too many strikeouts, you know, I don't know. I don't know your thoughts on what you think the game's like these days, but yeah. Uh, Yeah. I
0: I try to watch it like here and there. Um, Yeah. I mean, you, you are right. Like the strikeouts are like, are very high. I I believe uh, at this time of recording there, there are six no hitters already. Yeah. Right. I know. Yeah. Like compared to history before, like that's, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Um I, I tried watching the Tigers and amongst the other wolves that they have. There's a lot of strikeouts and like oh, a, I lot know. Of, a lot of uh like ground outs, not not good contact. But right. um and there there was something that's just stuck out to me with the uh the Chicago White Sox, the the manager Tony LaRussa. Yeah legend, legend historically like multiple World Series with different teams, yada yada yada. Right. But they have a rookie, a twenty eight year old rookie, uh Last name is Mercedes, I believe. Uh huh. They were they were playing. I think that was the Minnesota Twins. The score the score was like fourteen to three. Chicago was winning. Yeah. So, so the Twins they put out a position player, not a yeah. pitcher. So he's up there. He's throwing like fifty mile per hour fastballs, whatever yeah. you want to call it. So so Mercedes, he's a rookie. He gets up there and he just he just launches the ball like into the second deck. It's, it's a home run. He's just right. trotting around the bases and all of that. And then after the game, Tony La Russa said that you know that he took issue with with Mercedes like uh, getting that home run. Right. He thought, he thought that Mercedes was dishonoring the game or like right. disrespecting the opponent for like you know like trying to run the score up. Yeah. Now, now my viewpoint on that is, uh, okay, you're you're a rookie. Why not try everything you can to get like the best stats that you can get. So then you. When, you, when you head into the winter meetings arbitration, you can get like you can get paid based off of your numbers. Like, okay, if I can get a home run off of you, why not take it,
1: right? Yeah. Oh, I know. I, I agree with you. I mean, it's like, the guy's enthusiastic. He's a rookie. I mean, why why do you even come up to the plate then if you're going to do that? I mean, what, I'm supposed to strike out on purpose because we have a big lead? I mean, you know, Tony LaRusso is old school and there's a lot of unwritten rules and maybe that was one of them in his day, but... Um, just like you're not supposed to steal you know you shouldn't steal a base when you have a big lead like that like you're trying to run up the score um, it's different you know the players are much more enthusiastic they they get away with a lot more now when you you see guys hitting a home run and they'll, they'll wait at home plate and they kind of hot dog it you mm-hmm. know back in the day uh, you'd get a ball in your ribs you know if you faced Bob Gibson or Don Drysdale you wouldn't be showing up pe- those guys like that now you, you can't throw at them you know and um, but at the same time, I think fans like to see that enthusiasm too. I mean, I mean, Gibson, you know, he was even back in 84 when he'd have, you know, he'd be, of course, I was empty at hit the home run, but they were doing stuff like that. <coughs> but yeah, those old, he's an old guy, uh, Tony, you know, and, um, relative to the age of other managers. And I just think it's, it's an old school thing, but most managers back their players. It's very odd that he would take exception publicly with his player. be I mean, one thing if he said privately, hey, you know what, I didn't really like that. But to go after a player, I mean, most good managers will back their players up even when they um, even they may disagree with them. They don't want to embarrass them. They don't want them embarrassed. So that could have caused some real friction in that White Sox uh, clubhouse, I'll bet, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, it did. And uh, Tim Anderson, uh, he's he's one of the black players for the White Sox. He's uh, he he's really good. Um, I started paying attention to him about two years ago, and I thought he was a breath of fresh when I first saw Tim Anderson. Yeah, of uh, you know, just like he's just like giving off the emotion, like the bat flips and all of this yeah. and all of this, and like it was just ex- exciting to see. So I'm like, yeah. yeah, that's refreshing. Like on top of that, he's black too. He's having a success. Great, cool, right? But. Uh, and it it was oddly enough, Tim's reaction to it he he was in support of of Mercedes of Mercedes getting that home run. Yeah. And uh, and and I, I'm not sure that what it caused like in the locker room. Yeah. Uh, but like they're still winning, so I guess everything is good, right? <laughs> right. But 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 still, it was it was just odd. Oh, and then wait that that next night, the I believe it was Trevor Bauer, he threw. Uh-huh. The the Twins pitcher threw behind Mercedes and then he oh, nope. immediately got ejected. Yeah. He immediately yep. got ejected. And then after the game, LaRusso said that he didn't have a problem with how.
1: Yeah, with that how was they, ridiculous. How they handled it. Yeah. yeah I, I just can't believe that. You know, the fact that he didn't back his player and publicly embarrassed him like that, I thought it was horrible. Um, and I think fans are looking for more enthusiasm and, and so forth. It's kind of uh, it, it's too it's too bad that. Um, that it came down like that, but he really showed his, Tony Larusa really showed his age, and I think it was bad judgment. You know, he was an admirer of Sparky Anderson, and they were friends, and I think Sparky would not have, uh, he would not have liked to have seen La Russa publicly do that to his player. Now, Sparky might not have liked it either, but he would have talked to him privately in the locker room. That was more of his style if he didn't like what he did. But, I mean, again, like, why go up to the plate then? And what am I supposed to do just – you know, stand there and get struck out by a catcher throwing fifty miles an hour. I mean, and like you said, he's trying to get his stats up. He's trying to. He's a rookie. He's enthusiastic. He's enthusiastic. I just like I don't get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and, also, and I can understand why uh, why a team would put out a position player. Because I talked to my dad about this, and he was and he was telling me that you know they're just trying to like save their arms because they know this game is out of reach. So yeah, they're not, not put out one of our secondary pitchers or relievers or whatnot yeah. out there. But, but then, but then too, like I don't understand how you can get upset at them for like, for like hitting, like getting a hit off of your position player. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. It, it, was just <laughs> it was just odd to see. You know what, speaking but, of, uh, I thought okay, about Sparky. Ant- I'm sorry. No, no, no. You go ahead.
1: You go no, ahead. I was thinking about Sparky Anderson and the idea of having a catcher come in to pitch. There was an incident that happened in Toledo when uh, John Walkenfuss, the former Tiger catcher, was a manager at Toledo. And they played a a game against the Tigers in Toledo. And and it's one of those things where John Walkenfuss didn't want to, you know, waste the arms of his pitchers. So John Walkenfuss decided that he was going to (laughs) pitch. So he went into the game and pitched against the Tigers and struck a couple of guys out. And Sparky Anderson was the manager of the Tigers, and um, he got he got really mad, and and actually walking Fuss um, ended up leaving the he I don't know soon after that he was out of the organization. Um, he thought he was he was showing up his team; they were embarrassed by it, and um, yeah, it's uh, you know people do that to try to save arms, and um, but yeah, I can see how humiliating that'd be to have a guy come in like that and strike out your player, but
0: yeah Wow. it's interesting times interesting times trying to these in my opinion they do definitely need to find a way to i guess make the game more palatable yeah for uh for people our age because you you know it's
1: interesting you know you're that question about what we can do to make i had a um i interviewed faye vincent the former um commissioner of baseball last year and he's very much concerned with it he's concerned about the length of the games And he thinks we're losing, we're losing young people and baseball has got to do something. And he's all for some type of interactive thing where fans could be on a computer and um, predict, you know, or or somehow be interactively involved with the game. Um, And They're actually, from my understanding, there's people that are looking into that. And like, I don't know about voting on making a decision on whether to take a batter out or, or a pitcher out oh wow yeah but really like, yeah like whoa that's really something but yeah he, he realizes that where our society is now that we're losing people losing fans with these games so long and um, and how do you keep how do you keep the excitement up and I've heard there's rumors about them pushing the mound back a few feet. I think that would be horrible. <laughs> To, to screw around with these dimensions that Alexander Cartwright put out, you know, whenever that was, when he laid out the first baseball diamond, these perfect dimensions that we've had for over a century to screw around with that. You know, they've lowered them they, in 1969. Uh, after 68 was the year of the pitcher. And, you know, the Carl Ustremski won the batting title with a 301 average in 68. And they lowered the mound. And um, to try to help the batters, and I think it helped a little bit. I know Denny McLean told me that he wasn't, even though he pitched really well the following year, not having that higher leverage hurt him. And um, so the, I can see maybe o- lowering the mound or doing some or doing something to, uh, or I don't know, but I, just changing the dimensions to me is like, and frankly, I don't even like that thing where they have a rule where they put a, a runner at second base, right? And a, is it a double header after the seventh inning or something or
0: yeah. After, um yeah. Then when the game goes to extra innings, they yeah. put a, they put a runner on second. Yeah. To I, to I guess speed up the the. Confusion. I know. I, yeah. I I I don't know. I I really don't know how to feel about that. Yeah. Uh, because because honestly the game could end like the very first pitch. I know. Uh, pretty much almost, but but yeah, I, I really don't know how to feel about that. But yeah, I commend them for at least trying something. Just
1: uh, oh, they may even do yeah. you know hockey as a shootout. You know, after overtime. And um and we I'm wondering if the number's like yeah, home run derby. I wonder yeah. if that's even being considered. And yeah. maybe that would be exciting for people. I don't know. I'd almost rather to be honest with you, I'd rather see that than I think having a guy second day. Yeah, yeah.
0: To be honest, I'd rather have that. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they should. That I would I would be really interested in that. Of course, some guys yeah. would have bigger advantages over others if you have like an yeah. Aaron Judge or a Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah, and if, right. And if if your lineup doesn't have like any power hitters, but but yeah, yeah I, I will be interested to see that.
1: Yeah, right. And Detroit might be at a little disadvantage these days, right? Nah, yeah. Oh
0: man. <laughs> yeah, we got got a few guys in the minors. They, they they're coming up to save us. Just got give them some time. <laughs> I hope so.
1: I can't believe the batting averages. How low the batting averages are. Not just the Tigers, but everywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah, you across know? the league. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I believe that's... I believe the base the balls have changed. Something about the balls have changed.
1: Yeah, they, they have changed them off and on. I know, I juice. You know, they're trying. They've juiced the ball before. I know that. Um, I've had people tell me that who've inside the game, and although the major league baseball will deny it officially, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know what they're going to do now. What they're doing now, but I think they're trying some experiments in the minor leagues. I'm not sure if they're doing doing a clock on pitching or. Um, some of the things they're trying to implement to speed the game up but yeah it's too bad yeah all right
0: uh coming down to a close i want to hit you with some quick hitters where i just i just say something and you just say the first thing that comes to your mind
1: well i hope i don't swing and miss Uh,
0: (laughs) no no i don't think so i don't think so you're really knowledgeable all right uh favorite willie horton moment
1: uh, for me, it would be throwing out Lou Brock in the fifth game of the World Series. I mean, um, that was just so tremendous to have a Detroit guy grew up in the city, played in the city. talk a hometown hero comes through. He doesn't throw out Lou Brock. the, the, the that rally continues. They go up. I think it would be five to one. That would have been it. I mean it was a pivotal play. Is the pivotal defensive play? And arguably the most pivotal defensive play in the history of the Detroit Tigers, if you think about it, as, as to how significant it was in a World Series.
0: Mm. Uh, favorite Kirk Gibbs moment?
1: Um, gosh, that would be, you know, it's easy to think of that second home run in the fifth game of the 84 World Series. But I can remember I was at a game in 1981, which was a, stri- a strike. Um, shortened season and the tigers were competing for the division title against the milwaukee brewers it was the last home game at tiger stadium we were like a game behind milwaukee as i recall gibson came up at the plate in the bottom of the ninth inning and he had 81 was a year where this young kid's there and he's he was just exciting to watch and everybody stood up standing ovation as he's up to bat and he had a home run to tie the game in one next innings and they lost and I just remember that he just had this proclivity, as we know, to hit these dramatic home runs. But, but that I guess you'd have to stick with that home run um, against Goose Gossage, who owned Kirk Gibson, you know, except for that moment.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> game five. Yeah. All right. Uh, last one. When are the Tigers getting back to the
1: World Series? Oh, gosh. I hope in our lifetime. <laughs> I, I think, I think the Pistons will probably hate to say it, but. I think the Pistons will get to the NBA championship game before the Tigers do. I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm yeah. impressed with the Pistons and what they're doing with the, with that team and these draft choices and their, and their management. The Tigers, ah, geez, I don't know. I mean, they've got the, they've got some great guys in the farm and they've got some great young pitchers. And I think once he starts spending money on free agents to fill in some of these holes, so maybe, you know, maybe three years, four years, they could be very. If I were to guess, and I don't claim to be an expert, but you might see something happen. Because if you think about it, the way the playoffs are in baseball, you don't have to be the best team in the Major League Baseball to win the World Series. You can go the regular season and be a fourth-place team or a fifth-place team and get in as a wild card and end up winning. So anything's possible if they get hot. But I like I like some of their starting pitching. that's pretty impressive. I just think they're going to have to sign some free agents along the way here to fill in some of the gaps and get more power. And hopefully this Torkelson kid and Riley Green comes up and, you know, it'll be like early, like 83, 82, and the Tigers were starting to get to the 84 season. And Hopefully we'll see that. So I'll try to be optimistic, optimistic about it. <laughs>
0: hard to be optimistic these days. But, I know. Uh, <laughs> all right, that's going to be a wrap on this episode. Thank you, Mr. Dow,
1: for joining hey, us. Hey, Best Jonathan, nice I enjoyed talking with you.
0: Oh, same, same here, same here. We, we'll have you back soon.
1: All sure. Right? Anytime you want to talk, it's great for me. All right. Awesome. Awesome.
0: All right. We'll catch you on the next episode of Keeping It Real.